Amen. Well, let's open our Bibles to the book of Mark. Uh, we're in the book of Mark. We want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you, and so you can follow along with us on uh, the Bible app. If you don't have a Bible, you can find us there under events, and uh, you can follow along with the Scripture. Take notes if you would like, or uh, you'll notice our ushers are coming around. Just get their attention. They would love to give you a copy of God's Word. And while you're turning to Mark chapter 4, I just want to ask a question. Um, what do people think about Jesus? Well, what do most people think about Jesus? Think about the people that you're going to interact with this week. The people you're going to bump shoulders with. Now, I'm not talking people that you really know, but you know, people that you're going to come in contact with at work, at the grocery store, in, in the parking lot, at your small group. What, 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 do, what do people think about Jesus? You're probably going to get a lot of different responses, right? You've got a, a varied opinions on the person of Jesus. You're probably going to have some people that kind of have a, a, a positive view of Jesus, like he's a, he's a good guy, he's a good teacher, uh, people that are, you know, they're kind of willing to check out church and, and, and at least show some mild interest in the person of Jesus. Like, sure, I'd like to get to know him a little bit better. And, and, and then you're going to have some people that are a little bit more extreme than that, people that have, they're, they're radical, right? They're like, Jesus is everything, and they're sold out, they're going to church, they're praying, they're giving, they're serving, they're telling other people about Jesus. At least I'm hoping that you're going to encounter some of these people, especially if you're in small group. I hope that you're going to have some people like that. Uh, but you're probably also going to encounter some people that have a negative view of Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? You can interact with some of those people this week. People that, that like haters, that like hate Jesus and, and church and everything to do with church, and they bash Christians as, as judgmental and, and backwards. The kind of people that like flaunt their ungodly behavior in front of you. It's almost like they're like daring you to say something and, and, and respond to them. You're probably going to have to deal with some of those people this week. Most likely, though, you're, you're going to have an overwhelming majority of people that are kind of um, neutral. Like, they don't care. Like, that's fine for you if you want to follow Jesus. I mean, that's, that's great. Like, if that works for you. But, uh, like, I've, I've got my thing. I'm okay. I don't really need anything else. Not interested. Have you seen any of these responses in uh, the people that we've seen in the book of Mark so far? What, what, what are the people that we've come in contact with, what do they think about Jesus? We keep running into three different groups of people in this book, right? We, we, we've got these religious leaders over here. And, and what do they think about Jesus? They hate Him. They want to they kill Him. And in fact, they're, they're plotting to kill Him. And, and last week we saw in chapter 3 that they're calling Him possessed by Satan. Pretty obvious they don't like this guy. But then we also have this, this group of people that we kind of refer to as the crowds. These people that are chasing after Jesus. And, 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 and while they're interested, they don't really get Jesus. They're, they're chasing after Him and, and they, want to, they want the benefits. You know, they want to you know, be healed of their diseases and have the demons cast out, which, which Jesus is fine with that. He wants them to come and see this, but, but He seems to want something deeper than just being popular and having people like Him. And so we see this third group over here. They're, they're, they're the disciples. And if the religious leaders hate Him and the crowds don't get Him, then the disciples believe in Him. And they 
follow him. So the obvious question is, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about his ministry and his person? I would say it's possible somebody in here uh, would be kind of like the religious leaders that you would like hate Jesus and everything to do with him, although it's not likely. My first clue is that you're here um, in church, so probably not a whole lot of people that feel that way this morning. But it's it's probably most of us are in a greater danger of thinking more like the crowds that, yeah, we think we're listening to him and we think we're following him, but we don't actually know him. We don't really get him. And we don't belong. It's possible that it's there. Mark has been making it really clear that you can't just be a casual fan of Jesus. He's not interested in you retweeting his stuff and, and liking his quotes and praying whenever you need an empty parking space or assuming the same religious affiliation uh, that your parents have because you grew up in it or just occasionally going to church. That's not what he's looking for. No, no, no. Like, I want you to hear me. You need to hear me on this. Okay? If you're coming, if this is like your first day here with us at Harvest or if you've just kind of been checking us out, like you're not sure how you feel about it, I just want you to know we are so glad that you are here. And there is a welcome without judgment. We believe that God has you here for a reason. You need to be here. So we'd encourage you, keep coming, check this out. Like, just, just hear us out on this. From the bottom of our hearts and from the pages of Scripture, we want you to know that you are loved. But all of us need to hear Him. All of us need to hear the call of Jesus. Jesus' call is for radical disciples. He's looking for people that, that like believe in Him, they believe what He says, and they love Him, and the people that would give everything to follow Him. That's what He's looking for. And I think that's why so many people are kind of offended by Him. He makes all these exclusive truth claims, and He's calling for this radical discipleship, and so many people are just not interested. That's why when we look around, uh, we see so few real disciples. But if I could give you uh, a big idea from this text that we're going to see here in Mark chapter 4, it would be this. Despite what it might look like, God's kingdom is growing. Are you in? I, I know what it looks like, but God's kingdom really is Growing. And the question is, are you, are you a part of it? Father, I pray that you would uh, take these words and, and let them be your words. I pray that this would be uh, the authority of your word that would speak to us and check our hearts. That we would sense that we need to listen to you. I pray that you would help us be convinced that you really are worth following. No matter what the cost. Show us your glory in and now. Give you praise for it. Well, if you're there with me, Mark chapter 4, I'm starting to read in verse 1. Follow along with me as I read. He says, Again, he began to teach beside the sea, 
and a very large crowd gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen! Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of, of soil. When the sun rose, it was scorched. Since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. He said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. He said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? So, uh, in this text, if I could give you a question that I think we need to be able to answer this morning, it's this. Note this. Um, can you hear? Can, can you hear? Uh, that's what he's asking us. Uh, it, here, here he's giving us this parable. Uh, he's back out by the Sea of Galilee where he uh, first called his first disciples. We saw him uh, teaching the crowds in chapter 2. And in fact, uh, last week we saw this, this, this crowd is kind of like a mob. In fact, they're, 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 they're pressing in like he's going to get crushed and he doesn't have time to eat. And here they are again. And it's so crazy that he decides to get into a boat. And you can almost picture this, right? Like he decides he's going to get into this boat. Y'all are like the people out in, uh, on the hillside. And, and Jesus is out here. One commentator called it his floating uh, pulpit, which I think is pretty awesome. And you can just like picture this beautiful stage that he's on and he's projecting out and he's teaching them. The text says, verse 2, he's teaching them many things in parables. Now I'm going to tell you something that is probably going to be shocking to a few of you because I'm a pastor and so you don't think that this is possible, but... Um, if I'm honest with you, sometimes I really struggle to understand the parable. You ever feel that? Um, there are times where I'm reading it, and, and all of these, like most of these parables are really simple stories, and, and I'm reading it, and I think I get it, and then I realize like there's something else going on here. And I was kind of wrestling with this one too. And, and this, this seems to be a really important one. And so before we explore the parable, I want to ask a question that I think is going to be really helpful for us to understand it. And here it is. Why does Mark include this here? Why, why does he choose to put this in chapter 4? Because Mark doesn't always include a lot of Jesus' teaching. A lot of times he just says he was teaching. And he doesn't actually tell you his sermons or his parables compared to some of the other Gospels. In fact, it's only in chapter 4 here and then in chapter 13 do we get any extended large sections of Jesus' teachings. So, so comparatively, Mark's Gospel is a lot shorter and it's action-packed. But that doesn't mean it's random. And he's not giving us a, a chronological 
timeline or, or bullet points uh, just to, to summarize. What, what Mark is doing is he's putting stories together for theological emphasis. And, and so this parable then brings clarity to the current situation that Jesus finds himself in. Uh, you got to keep in mind the context. What's been happening in the last three chapters that we've just read? Specifically, how have people been responding to him? That's going to be helpful for us in understanding what he really means. But we also need to know, like, what in the world is a parable? We kind of throw that word out there. What's a what is a parable? Well, let me tell you what it's not. A parable is not uh, pithy advice that's communicated like uh, an Aesop's fable uh, with an easily discernible moral principle that everybody can pick up. Kind of like, uh, uh, slow and steady wins the race. Or don't be the boy who cries wolf, right? And, like anybody should be able to pick that up and, and it's just kind of moral teaching. That's not what he's doing. And it's also not just creatively teaching general wisdom. Like Jesus decided to tell stories so that the people wouldn't fall asleep while he's talking. That's not what he's doing. A parable is a truth communicated in story or pictures from things of everyday life, like like farming or housekeeping, things that you could easily connect with. And it's often a, a simile, a comparison. It's as if Jesus is like, he's trying to teach you something, and he's like, okay, okay, okay. It's like this. And then he tells you a story or gives you a word picture. So parables are supposed to bring clarity, but that doesn't mean that they're simple. It doesn't mean that they're easy to understand. In fact, the parables are often incredibly complex. And honestly, if you don't know Jesus, you won't get him. So here he is giving this parable, uh, this kind of farming parable, if you will, and the emphasis is on the sower, and this incredible harvest that he brings in. And I know that we're not really uh, an agricultural region, but you can kind of picture this, can't you? You've got a farmer who goes out, and, and he's got like a, a bag. He's probably got like a side satchel. He'll full of seeds, and he's walking around, and he's just throwing these seeds. And, he, and honestly, he's kind of throwing them all over the place. And, and here's the problem. Most of the places where he's throwing, he's throwing some over here on the path. He's some, throwing some here in the rocky soil. Some, this is kind of landing over here in the thorns. Most of the seed that he is throwing is not going to grow. It's not going to work. But in the end, even though it looks like a lot of that seed is wasted, that sower will reap a harvest that is shocking in abundance. But, but notice, notice how he bookends the parable. Look at, look at what he says in verse 3. Look, look how he starts this. He gives us this little word, this command. He says, listen, listen. That's the Greek word akuo, meaning uh, uh, it's where we get our word acoustic, to hear. He's like, open up your ears. I want you to hear this. And, and then at the end, he says it again, verse 9. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so, 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 so this morning, I see, I'm looking around, I see a whole bunch of ears. That's not the problem. The question is, can you hear what Jesus is really saying? Can you hear? Anybody feeling a little bit like, I don't know. What exactly am I supposed to be hearing? Like, 
I, I, I thought I heard, but like now that you ask it that way, I'm like, I'm not so sure. Like, what am I supposed to hear? If anybody's feeling that way, I think Mark anticipated that you might be feeling that way. Because here's what he did. He, he jumps to another scene in verse 10. In verse 10, he jumps to something else that happened later. It's almost like he inserted this scene into the middle of Jesus' teaching out on the sea. And I know that because uh, later in verse 36, we still find Jesus, he's out there with the crowds and he's in the boat. Okay, So it's almost like in real time, Jesus just keeps teaching, but Mark knew that the minute you and I would read that parable, we'd be a little confused. And so he jumps ahead and tells us about, about what happened a little while later. Kind of gives us the behind the scenes, right? And so here's here's verse ten. We get the scene when he was alone. No more crowds. He's cleaned up after the party went home, and he's kicking back with his disciples, and they get the chance to ask him about the parables. Be encouraged. You're not the only one. Introduced by this. I just think this is really cool that we get the behind the scenes. We get the 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 Blu-ray. Bonus features, if you will. Like the crowds don't get to hear this, but we get to hear what the disciples heard. And, and here it is, verse 11. Here's what Jesus told them To you has been given the secret of the kingdom, but for those outside, everything has been shared. Now that is a significant statement, isn't it? What he just did is he divided everyone into two different he said, wait a minute, I thought we had like three groups. We're, we're, we're dealing with like the religious leaders, and we got the, we got the crowds, and then we've got the disciples. But th- those are the people that we see in the stories. But there's really only two types of people in the Gospel of Mark. And there's only two types of people that are here this morning. There are real disciples who have been given the those who are outside. And Jesus is about to explain this parable for them. He's about to like work through the details of the story and, 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 and get in the, uh, the nitty-gritty so that they can try to understand it. So what I want you to notice is what Mark is doing again. He's giving us another story sandwich. Well, we saw this last week in chapter 3. This is one of the ways that he tells stories. He, he's, he, he tells a story, and then he kind of interrupts it for a minute, and then he comes back and finishes it later. It's kind of a, a story in the middle of a story making a sandwich. And so for us, we've, we've got this parable, and then we've got the explanation of the parable, but in the middle, this is the point. Don't miss this. There are two types of people. There are insiders, and there are outsiders. There are those who can hear, Important to know which category How do we know? How do we know? How do, how do we know who are the real disciples, the ones who can really hear? Well, I think our first clue is right there in chapter or verse ten. He says, "When he was alone, those around him." Now, now that phrase is pretty significant because we just saw that same phrase back in chapter three. And, and you don't have to turn there. I've got it for you on the screen. If you want, you can see it. Uh, chapter three, verse thirty-three. Jesus was asking this question: 
who are my mother and my brothers? And that's not because he was super confused because somehow he was adopted and he just found out. Like, that's not what he was asking. What he was saying is, like, who are the real deal disciples? And the answer, verse 34, he looked about at, look at it, those who sat around him, and he said, here, here are my mother and my brothers. Here they are. But we saw is that the real disciples are with Jesus. And that's not just talking about physical proximity, but it's talking about relationship and intimacy in relationship and a hunger and a desire for his presence. Real disciples want to be with him. And so back in verse 11, that's when Jesus said to them, it's to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Now that word secret there in the Greek is the word mysterion, where we get our word mystery. And it's a mystery because you can't figure it out on your own. It has to be revealed to you. It's a secret. Somebody has to tell you. It has to be given to you. And I know what you're thinking. Uh, what's the secret? What is it? Man, wouldn't it have been awesome? Like some of us, I don't know if you read this, but I, I kind of wonder, like, Mark, couldn't you have just like put it in parentheses right there? You know, like, 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 of course, I know what it is. Like, obviously, I know what it is. But for other people that are reading it that might not know what the secret is, what is the secret? Well, he's already told us what the secret of the kingdom is. This is when, the first week when we jumped into this book in chapter 1. Jesus already gave us the secret. I've got it for you here on the screen. Verses 14 and 15 of chapter 1. It says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled. And listen, listen, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the secret. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's already here. You say, where? Where is it? It's in the person of Jesus. The kingdom of God broke through into this world in the person of Jesus. The kingdom started when the king showed up. And all you have to do is hear this gospel message. This is good news. Will you believe it? And if you can hear that, you have believed that, it's because it's been given to you. It's not because you have like some superpowers or that your hearing abilities are far greater than everybody else is sitting around you. It's because God showed you that. He revealed it. You. It's grace. God is the sower. And any growth that happens is His work. So can you hear? But to those outside, everything is terrible. Everything is full ministry. And, and this gospel, this secret, that the kingdom is here because Jesus is here. All of that he speaks to them in these parables and it's going to remain a mystery, a secret that they can't understand. Why? Because they don't know Him. They don't know who He is. He is the Christ, the Son of God. He's the King. He's the Messiah. But they're looking at Him like, you're not the King. You don't even have a kingdom yet. In order to have a kingdom, you got to go out and gather an army and, and, and raise up the troops and go and fight and take out the Romans and, and seize the land and, and, and build a castle and get a crown. Like, I don't, doesn't look like there's a kingdom here to me. Because they don't believe it. And so when he speaks to them in parables, 
people that don't know Him can't hear and understand. So Jesus is speaking to them in these parables, fulfilling Scripture. Verse 12 here is quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, and He said, They may indeed see, but not Now that's not some like listening, reading, comprehension exam uh, where where like he's he's just gonna go. I, I just need you to listen and then regurgitate what I just said to you. They heard you. The problem is they can't understand it. They don't get it. Why? Well, it's not really an ear problem. It's a heart problem. In fact, um, in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 29. I've got this one on the screen for you. God gave the law. God gave the law to His people. And at the end of it all, Moses stood up before them and he said, but to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Notice the Lord had to say that. You can only hear and understand if your heart only God can do that work. So if you're putting these dots together, the reality of who Jesus is for these people will remain a mystery for them unless they can learn who He is. His sovereignty is a sobering reality. Unless we think that God is being unfair, reality is that these outsiders don't want the truth. They reject it. He's already come and he's already proclaimed the gospel. He's already told them who he is. They don't believe it. So I think I would agree with C.S. Lewis who said it this way in The Great Divorce. He says there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, without Christ, we are dead in our sins. None of us would choose Him on our own. What he's saying in here, if you do believe, if you want. He has raised you from the He has given you a new desire. But I also think that there's some encouragement in verse 13. He, he, really, this becomes a gracious invitation for us. Uh, because Jesus says, do you, do you not understand the parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Like, if you don't get me, you're not going to get any of these. But I love what he's saying. It's almost like what Jesus is saying is, I really want to. Trying to hide it. I want you to get this. And, and so he goes into uh, explanation mode, which uh, this is crazy because even though they've been given the secret of the kingdom, like they still need Jesus to help explain the parable. Is that encouraging for anybody else? Uh, is that, that's encouraging to me. Like, so, so if you're ever reading a parable and you get confused, 
Don't freak out like, I must not be saved. I don't know what this means. Like even the disciples, the ones who are believers, even they needed help, okay? Real disciples have faith, but that doesn't mean that we don't need further explanation and help with the application. But what he is saying is, can you hear the gospel message and will you believe that Jesus is the Christ? The Son of God. Here? And he gives us this challenge, verse 14. He goes into the explanation try to help us, but I really think this is going to challenge us as disciples. Verse 14, he says, the sower sows the Word. And these are the ones along the path where the Word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and he takes away the Word that is sown in them. And these are the ones on the, sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the Word, immediately they receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while and then Tribulation or persecution arises on account of the Word, immediately they fall away. Others are ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the Word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the Word. proves unfruitful. Those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the Word, accept it, Bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. In some ways, what Jesus just did is he gave us a, a warning and a challenge for us as disciples. Note this: check your heart. Check your heart. Sower sows the word. That's pretty obvious. What that is? That's Jesus going around proclaiming the Gospel like he started in chapter 1. But uh, these various responses that we see are are kind of, this is the current situation of his ministry. Jesus is just explaining for us what it is that we've been seeing. Why people have been responding the way they have to his ministry. And and so, like, if this is kind of a picture of the landscape, if you will, if this is a survey of the soils, then this parable is kind of like plotting this out on a graph or, or drawing a diagram so that you can see it. These are the various responses. Here's the first one. Check your heart. Verse 15. Those that landed on the path, when they hear, Satan comes and immediately takes it away. So we see this intense opposition because of spiritual warfare. And we've been seeing that, haven't we? Satan is on the attack here. And they've been bringing all these, the crowds have been bringing people to Jesus that are possessed by Satan. Why? Because they have hard hearts. So yeah, they audibly hear, but they reject what Jesus is saying and Satan's forces are right there to pounce on it. And they're all around working to keep people in the dark. It's still happening today. Paul tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that the God of this world, there he means Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ. Maybe you've experienced this or you, you're like, Sometimes you're like trying to share the gospel with somebody, but they just completely dismiss you and ignore everything you're saying. Why? Because they have hard hearts, and Satan, the enemy, is feeding them lies. You ever experienced this? You're trying to like tell somebody about Jesus. You're trying to help them understand the the gospel, and it's almost like they have this arsenal of, of. uh, you know, ex- ex- excuses and arguments uh, against everything that you're trying to say to them. And sometimes, sometimes they believe it. Sometimes it's obvious they've thought through this. Sometimes it's like something they've heard before and, and they're just chucking whatever they can at you to dismiss what you're saying. Why? Because they're believing lies. 
they, they, they say things like, you know, science. You know, science has proven the Bible, and, 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 and evolution has disproved creation. There's no God who created anything. And you really can't trust the Bible, right? It's, it's full of errors, and, and a bunch of guys wrote that to try to trick people. And, and, and really, all religions just lead to the same place. And what we really need is to be tolerant and just coexist with one another. And I'm not trying to paint these people as unintelligent. A lot of times they're incredibly intelligent, but their hearts are hard and they're blind to the truth. They can't see. They can't hear. That's your heart. And then there's those that landed on the rocky ground. And when they received it, they received it with joy and they had no root. So like, it seems legit at first. Okay, these people like all of a sudden this can be really exciting. Like growth comes out of nowhere. Like man, look at all these people that are showing up. This is incredible. Look at these crowds. They they can't get enough of Jesus. They just they just want more of them. This is this is a really exciting time to be here. Look at all these people that are coming in. But it's superficial. Looks like the real thing on the outside. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. I'm just really thankful that Jesus doesn't hide the fact that the Gospel will be opposed. And that people who believe in Him will be hated. And when that day comes, when it's no longer popular, but it, now it's, it's, it's dangerous and it's hard, the text says they fall away. I'm like, I'm in it for, man, this is awesome. I feel like I'm getting something out of this. You know, this is interesting. This is entertaining. But the minute it gets hard, I'm out. Don't want, man, it's not worth it. Because Jesus is not worth it to them. But he's looking for disciples who will believe even in the face of persecution. Now, I've got to think that probably meant a lot to these Roman Christians who are reading Mark's Gospel in the first century facing the legitimate threat of torture and death for their faith. I think you know that many of our brothers and sisters around the world through the ages and even today live in this tangible reality that it is going to cost you to follow Jesus. But they face it in faith. Why? Because they have been convinced that Jesus is better. And so they go to their deaths knowing that whoever loses his life for Christ's sake and for the Gospels will save it. Jesus is calling for some radical discipleship here. And, and, and so if, if you're inclined to give up on this, he's not talking about just, just holding on to your faith when it's easy and, and as long as it's comfortable and, and as long as this makes me happy and I feel like I'm getting something out of this. If you're inclined to give up on it and give up on the church when it loses its shine or, or when it, you're going through hard things and, and, and the, the people's words and the threats are coming at you and it's going to cost you something when you're going to have to sacrifice for it. If you're just going to give up on it, then warning is now, check your heart. Check your heart. Lord, am I really convinced that you are better than anything? That it is worth it to follow you no matter the cost. That's what he's looking for. I think this next soil especially painful for us in the United States. Especially considering that Fairfax is the second richest county in the country. We are saturated in 
wealth, comfort, convenience, entertainment. We're, we're just like surrounded by these things. What happens to this country? 19 cares this world, deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things enter in and choke the word proves We have a lot, but we also have a lot of problems around here. People that are completely under depression, dependent on substances, and their lives are falling apart. But the crazy thing is, we 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 get sucked into this lie that the solution is the security of our riches, what money can bring us. That, that like, man, if I just had a little bit more, I, I wouldn't have so much stress, and I could take care of me, I could take care of my family, and I, I could ensure that we're going to have the, the freedom and the flexibility to enjoy life and take trips and buy the stuff that we want to do, and, and, and you know, we'll, we'll be okay for the future, and our hearts crave that security, but we can easily be duped by the empty promise that my problems will be fixed by my portfolio and Apple Pay. And some of you have probably recently experienced that this is kind of a shaky platform to be standing on, isn't it? What's happening is here, these hearts are preoccupied and distracted. We, we, we begin chasing the things we want. We, we chase our wants and our, our desires and we run after relationships and we salivating over our lusts and dreaming of, of attention and accolades that we could receive and, and piling up our Amazon wish list with all the latest and greatest. And, and we become magnetized to the distractions of entertainment. It's kind of like this soothing buzz that allows us to escape our reality. And, and we see the glitz and the glamour of Hollywood and the, the hottest and latest trends that become our next binge. And, and social media becomes a drug. And, and we're unaware that we're pulling out our phones on impulse and just offering ourselves up to the steady stream of unfiltered images and data on our screens. And all the while, completely unaware that our hearts have become so enamored and distracted by the things of this world that we're essentially saying, Jesus, you don't compare to this. This is what I really want. I want this more than I want you. A heart full of idols has no room for God. Is Jesus better? What he's helping us understand is harvest. There are those who are broken. We're not relying on the fact that I prayed a prayer years ago. Hear me out on this one. If you have trusted Jesus for salvation, you can never lose your salvation. But we're not trusting in something that happened a long time ago. And if the evidence of my heart is that I don't love Christ more than anything, and that I don't believe that He is better, then this is a warning for us. But the encouragement right there in verse 20 is that those seeds that fell in the good soil, they hear the Word, they accept it, and they bear fruit. That's a picture of faith. Back to my first question I asked you. What do you think ought to happen? Check your heart. 
Is your heart responsive? Do you believe that He is the Son? That He's the King? That He's the Son of God? That there's no one more glorious? That it is worth any cost to follow Him because He is infinitely greater than anything? Do you believe that? I think this parable then becomes kind of an invitation for us. Will you hear the Gospel? You believe that Jesus is your Savior, that Jesus died on the cross for you, a death that you deserve, a debt you could not pay, and that He is Lord who deserves worship and your obedience. Jesus is sowing. He's going to bring in an incredible harvest. Can wait for the day when we finally get to glory and we look back and we look at what He did. Look at what He did! awesome. I think God has been impressing on my heart in the last couple of years the need to look out at Fairfax and have the faith to believe him. what it might look like. God's kingdom is growing. When? If you are in, I'm praying for you. Jesus asked us to pray for the Lord of the harvest, send out laborers into the harvest. You have an opportunity to get after the mission field. Much work to do. Father, I pray that you Help your church celebrate what you have accomplished for us on the cross. Celebrate your love for us. Those who do believe, I pray that we would be convinced again that you are better. I pray that our church on the day when you return, we'll be bringing in the fruit of the harvest. We'll not be found unfruitful because we've fallen away or been choked out by the things of this world. Convince us again that you are better. Call us to be on mission again. We want to respond to you in faith. Lord, I'm praying that you're going to send us out. That we're going to see more people coming to believe in Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of it. I pray that you encourage and strengthen your church with your word today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.